In a world filled with chaos, we're being told to focus on Christmas. How can Christmas change what's going on in the world? That's the question of the hour. Join me during this Christmas season to discover who's in the manger. Well, amen. It's good to be uh, in here with you this morning, and I'm thankful that you stayed. I think you saw that I was coming, and, and you didn't bolt on me, right, and, and, and go uh, somewhere else this morning. You stayed in here, and, and I am thankful for that. Again, I uh, hope that you enjoyed uh, your family time yesterday. I know we sure did. Uh, as Jesus, uh, or not Jesus, as Josiah, as Josiah opened up his gifts yesterday, Every gift that he got and he started opening, it could have been a book, it could have been um, a toothbrush, whatever it may have been. Every time he started opening, he goes, Dad, what's this about? Dad, Dad, Dad what's, what's, what's this about? And he would do it over and over and the, whole, the whole time. He just kept asking what this is about. And, and, the, and the joyous part was is uh, every time we got to that point, we'd tell him what the gift was. And then, and then we always subtly reminded him what the ultimate gift is this year, which is Jesus. So it was a teaching moment over and over and over again. But man, our two-year-old's redundant and, and, and repetitive and, and it keeps us going. Uh, one of the things I enjoy, though, each year around Christmas time is the different traditions that we get to do as a family. Uh, growing up, uh, one of the traditions that we always did was on Christmas Eve, uh, we would get in the vehicle after dinner uh, and we would go and look at Christmas lights. We'd get our whole family together, we'd go look at Christmas lights, and then when we got back, uh, we, would, we were able to open up one gift. Now, I didn't realize how naive kids are until I had one of my own, um, but every year, that gift was the same. It never changed. I don't know why we as kids thought it would change, but that gift was always either pajamas or underwear and socks. It never, it never changed. Like, I mean, that was a fair. You didn't know if you were getting pajamas or if you were getting your underwear and socks that year. But, but for a kid, it was always a letdown, right? Uh, when I would come to that point, I'd be like, oh, man, yeah, I get to open up. Maybe I'll get a little, you know, a game or something. I'll go to bed happy. Like, you know, great expectation of the gifts uh, that are coming. And instead, I got pajamas. And it's like, oh, now we get a match. Joy, right? And, and then... And then uh, as Catherine and I uh, got married, we're like, you know, what traditions do we want to keep? And I said, not that one, all right? <laughs> I, want, I want a different one. So she goes, okay, well, what do we do? And I said, uh, I don't know. And, and so we decided on we're going to make cinnamon rolls. Now, I, I am a great eater of cinnamon rolls, right? Um, and, and so what we do is Catherine gets up that morning real early, and she makes these homemade cinnamon rolls. Um, from scratch, she does all the, all the preparation and all that. And so it is such a happy time in the house. Um, and, and, and there's a great expectation of those. When I get up and I smell that cinnamon going, I'm like, oh, it's going to be a good day, right? Um, and, 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 and so this year, Catherine messed with me a little bit. She goes, you know, I don't think I, don't think I can get up uh, that early this year. I, don't, I think we're just going to do this, the can bot cinnamon rolls. And I said, I, we were driving and I pulled the car over and I said, I said, I said, hold on, what did I do wrong? <laughs> Am I in trouble? Is it something I, she was messing with me and we, we laughed about it. But you see, at that moment, uh, it, it caused deep concern. I had the scars of the pajama memories. Like, this, is, this is newness that I want and, 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 and I had a hope for it. I wanted uh, to, to have that. I had an expectation that when I wake up, we're going to go downstairs, we're going to read the Christmas story, 
Uh, we're going to say our prayers. We're going to thank God for all that he is and all that he's done uh, for this year. We're going to open up some gifts. Then we're going to push them to the side because the greatest gift's still coming out of that oven, right? And, and, and so, so I have that expectation, right? So if you're coming over on Christmas morning, um, then you can expect cinnamon rolls with us. It's the only time of the year we make them. That's why there's a great hope or expectation for them. And so what I want us to understand is that when our expectation isn't met, right, there's a sense of uh, disappointment or a letdown or, or a, a sense of, ah, oh, man, this, this is a bummer, right? It can change your whole mood or your whole attitude or perspective of that. If we would have had store-bought um, the little canned cinnamon rolls, I would not have been in good shape Christmas morning. I just wouldn't have, right? I would have been, I would have been a, a, a major late night. Uh, but my wife is so loving and caring and enduring uh, that she provided for us, uh, and, and that expectation was, that was met. You know, in our life, there are people, um, and there, there are things that often disappoint us. Uh, we can count on even maybe some people sitting next to us that we're like, you know, there's been times where we've let each other down, right? There's been times where we've had hope that something would happen, and when it doesn't happen, we're, we're, we're really defeated or, or, or upset with that. Um, and, and so in the season and in everything in this world um, that we put our hope into, uh, oftentimes more than not, at some point, will be failed, right? But <clears throat> this season of celebration and in our uh, Christmas series, what we've come to learn, and it's the title of the sermon, is Jesus is the hope of the world. And Jesus is the one that we can put our hope into. Uh, we've come to learn along our series that uh, he's the giver of life. He is the Lamb of God. Uh, we've learned that He is the bread of life, the gift of God. And today, again, we'll come to know Him as the hope of the world. So, so as we build into this, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 12 through 16. And you can go ahead and start turning there. But what I want us to understand is we can look upon Him with great expectation of what He will do and what He uh, has promised to do. And, and we're going to examine that through uh, the Word. But we can also... Uh, put our trust or our faith in him as well. And so as we go uh, through our text today, I want us to be mindful of that. Maybe you're in a condition where you have been failed a few times along the way, or, or your expectations haven't been met, and maybe you're teetering on, how can I really put my hope in, 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 in him? What, what will he do uh, for my soul? How will he satisfy? And, and so you may be pondering a lot of different things uh, in this season, but I want us to ex examine uh, the word, and then hopefully through that, he'll speak and, and, and reassure your soul of, of, of his uh, faithfulness to you, all right? And so in our passage, uh, right before we read, uh, one of the things I want us to, to understand is there's a great tension going on uh, between the Jewish people and the Gentile people, uh, the people of promise and the people uh, that were not of that promise. Uh, there was a great divide among them that they, uh, and, and not just a divide as, as we would uh, think like, you know, they're on the other side of the railroad tracks. No, this is a divide that's much, much deeper. It was a deep hatred for one another. Um, the <clears throat> God's people uh, were, you know, his chosen uh, people to carry out the, the Messiah that was to come. Uh, he was, they're the ones that uh, had the favor of God. Um, and then the, the other side of that would have been people that were separated for, for <clears throat> all eternity, all right, or, or had no hope or expectation. And so the divide would be uh, was uh, that, that they, they just fought all the time. They battled all the time. They were, 
They were not wanting to interact or, or interchange because of their different upbringing or, or backgrounds. And so when we get to this text, as Paul is helping minister to the church, what he's doing is bringing this back to life and then helping them change their perspective on what God has done in it. And so hopefully we'll be able to do the same for our lives today. In our text, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 says this, Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us and both one and has broken down in, uh, in his flesh and dividing wall of host- uh, hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Thereby killing the hostility. So right here, as Paul's ministering to the church, he's addressing the Gentile people. And what he does is he comes right out in front and said, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget at one point you were alienated from from God. You were alienated from from Christ. And he reminds them of who they were prior to that. Because there should, or during this time, there was still a disconnect because they weren't united in that fact. And so, so when we think about the Gentiles here at this time, what we're, we're reminded of is they were Christless, right? This is part of their alienation. They were Christless. Uh, they were separated from Christ. They were not part of the Messianic people. They had no hope in the Messiah. They had nothing to look forward to. They were stateless, uh, meaning they were cut off from the commonwealth of Israel. They, they had no uh, stake in heaven, right? They weren't, uh, they weren't citizens, right? They were friendless, right? They were strangers uh, to the covenant people. They were, um, and, 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 and were mindful of that God had bound himself unconditionally uh, uh, to the blessing um, of Israel. But the Gentiles had no such promise, right, or, or such hope. Um, they were hopeless and godless, having, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, you're like, well, having no hope in God, uh, aren't there a lot of religions out there? Sure there are, right? There are a lot of different uh, relig- world religions around, um, and, and there are a lot of uh, you know, religious acts that they may do along the way, um, different sacrifices and different uh, things that they do, but they're missing one thing, one component, and that's God. They're missing God. And so the biggest need that they had was not a physical one, was not um, an emotional one. The, the biggest need that they had and what Paul's reminding them of is a spiritual one. They had a spiritual need um, uh, that only Christ would uh, remedy. Uh, and so when we look at this, we can look at this as, as you know, far off and, and seeing what's going on in the life of the church. And we're like, you know, man, that, you know, it's good to see how, how these things are working out. But when we look at the deep-rooted disconnect that the Gentiles have from from God, we can also see that in our world today. You see, if you were like me, uh, you don't come from uh, the Jewish roots, right? You're not uh, not people of the covenant. You're not people of the promise. So, So where would we be today if there was no Christ? Right? What hope would we be? When we look at these conditions that, that they had, 
Uh, we would also find ourselves as Christless, uh, living without any hope. We would also look at ourselves as stateless, not having any uh, hope for heaven or, or any hope for the future. We would also look at ourselves as friendless, strangers to one another. Why would I want to continue to live if I have nothing to connect to, right? Um, and then uh, we can see as, uh, ourselves as hopeless or, or godless. You know, many times I think we take for granted uh, the the, our salvation, that we forget where we were apart from God. Because I think when we, when we look at this and, and, and take that in and, and realize and remind ourselves of without God, I'd be nothing or I'd be useless um, or, or I'd have no hope or nothing to live for, or nothing to pursue. If I, if I come to that, that point in, in, in my thinking, then what I'll also start doing is seeing others in their condition, which is not a physical problem that they had. It's not an emotional problem that they have. It's one of spiritual. They need to be connected to the Savior. It'll change our perspective of not just uh, our circumstances, but also how we respond in those circumstances. That we won't be caught up in the trivial things of, you know, my food was overcooked or, or the waiter was not the best. Uh, we'll, we won't take our circumstances as, as the end-all, be-all, but instead we'll have a, a more of, a, a, of an uplifting um, perspective of knowing that this place isn't our end game right? Heaven is. And so if I live my life in pursuit of that, then I don't have to be stuck um, in this alienating part that the Gentiles experienced before Christ or that we experienced before Christ ourselves. And so when we look at the text, we have to remind ourselves just as Paul reminded the church of, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget where you were in your heart's condition. Don't forget the path that you were headed the path of separation from God from all eternity, the path of, of, of not being connected to him. Don't forget what he has done. In verses 13 and 14, God <clears throat> helps bring in perspective on how he connected the Gentiles uh, to, to the church. And he says um, in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So what he is is Jesus is the great reconciler. And so how do we fix the wall or the barrier of, of being disconnected to God? Uh, it's Christ, right? He's the one that reconciled us back to him. He's the one uh, that, that, um, that makes it possible for both the Jewish people and the Gentiles to come near. Jesus um, is our peace and our peacemaker between us and the Trinity. Uh, and so when we look at this, Christ's uh, death did not just bring down the wall of disconnect. It destroyed it and, 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 and created a pathway to God. And so we're going to walk through on how Christ breaking down that wall of separation uh, impacts us today and, 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 and how he did that. And then ultimately what that'll do is help bring in perspective of how he is continually reconciling us or bringing us back to a relationship with him and the Father. And so <clears throat> look at verse 15. It says this uh, at the beginning part of this, verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in or ordinances. Let's pause right there. So the first thing that Christ's death did is it abolished the law. Now you're like, hold on, how did it abolish the law? Uh, when he says in the Sermon on the Mount that I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Well, there's two different laws in perspective there. 
the first one that Jesus mentions in the Sermon on the Mount, would that have been a moral law, right? One uh, that, that would, him being in our place, him fulfilling that he came and lived a sinless life, he met the commandments of God, uh, he, he didn't waver from, from that. But the, the law that he come to um, abolish was that of the ceremonial law, right? So that would have been the additional practices of this is how you wash your hands, this is what you do on the Sabbath, this is like, um, you know, how you uh, do your weddings, like uh, how you do conduct yourself. It's, it's the additional laws that were added along the way just for tradition's sake a, a lot of the ways. And the problem with this is uh, that ceremonial law became so um, burdensome that no one uh, can even fathom to keep it, right? You know, you, you walk on the wrong side of the street, broke a law, right? You, you stubbed your toe, broke a law. Like, it, it was just, it was, it was ridiculous. It's like when you go into your grandma's house, right? And it's, everything's like set up perfectly, so you can't touch anything and you're a kid, right? You know, it's like, you know, don't look at the, the, uh, the glass just right because it'll get a smudge, so don't touch that, right? <laughs> you know, or, or uh, these are toys to be looked at, not played with. Like, you know, laws that don't make sense, so, <laughs> totally. Uh, but, but for here, we understand this, that, that God, um, that Jesus came not to, not to abolish the moral law. He kept that, right? He kept that by coming and living a perfect life and dying on the cross and fulfilling the wrath of it. Instead, he came to abolish that ceremonial law, all right? That law that we couldn't fathom either in keeping itself, right? Um, and, and, and he did that to give them new life. And so now that that barrier um, is gone, um, and since he fulfilled that moral law, he took away the con- uh, condemnation, right? Uh, so that not, not that when we look upon Jesus, we understand this. There was a way that he came and he lived and he fulfilled in things that we couldn't fathom in fulfilling, right? Uh, when he was born and we celebrated that birth, he fulfilled uh, multiple prophecies in that. When he lived his life and his ministry, he did uh, uh, everything according uh, to the will of the Father. He did not sin. He was blameless. And so when he completed the moral law by dying on the cross and resurrecting, we know that we can look upon him as our hope, our, our, our living hope, or our salvation, right? He, and that's where the beginning of reconcile, reconciliation comes, right? And so when we look at this, uh, we're reminded in verses prior to this, it says, for by grace you have been saved, in verse 8, um, in, in chapter 2, through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So God coming to abolish the law, coming uh, to, to rid ourselves of that, um, <clears throat> he did so because it was something that you and I could not fulfill. Now, when we think of it in, in that terms, what we're looking at is, in, in the perspective of, is my salvation is not contingent on me, Right? It's not something I could do on my own. It's not something I could earn. It's not, there's not like a special path that if you go do this, this, and this, and this, you're going to be in heaven. In fact, um, there's, it's, it's utterly impossible. And so the reason for that is, is how big-headed would we would be if we thought that we could just earn the favor of God on our own merit, right? We would still be missing the mark because our pride would be in the way right? Our, our condition of sinfulness would, would be always in that way. And so when we look at salvation, we have to look through it in the perspective of, he loved me so much that he looked upon me in my sinful state, in my separated state, in my disconnect from him, my alienation of him, and said, I don't want you to stay that way. 
And so he would send his son Jesus to come and die on the cross. That, that way, that I, I, don't, I don't get the favor of that. I don't get the credit of that. I don't, I don't get the celebration of that. But I can realize that with, apart from him, my life has no value or purpose. So I, I give my faith and, and my hope and my trust in him because of the work that he did that I could not do on my behalf. That's a thing to be celebrated. That when we look in this Christmas time, uh, we're thankful uh, that he fulfilled his word in sending the son. Because we know that what would come later. Like we get to look at it from that perspective. But for them, they would have been coming right out of the crucifixion and, and getting a deeper understanding of how, how good God is and how, how loving he really was for them. And oftentimes I think we, we forget that perspective of, of us trying to do just enough things here at church that we're like, all right, I've earned the favor of the pastor, so I should be in good shape. Or I've earned the favor of my Sunday school teacher or my community group. I'm in good shape. And instead, what we need to realize is there's no amount of effort that we can put in that'll get us in good shape. It's only through the work of Christ that gives us hope in this world. And so when we look at that, we know that <clears throat> he connects us because he abolished the law. He broke that barrier down. And then he also does this. Look in the rest of that verse 15. It says, um, uh, he create in himself a new man in place of the two, so making peace. So what he does is he abolishes the law, but then he also creates a new humanity. He created a new humanity. Um, I was reading in uh, a book about, about this text, and, and in that book, it shared this illustration. It was from a uh, bishop, John Reed, who was driving a school bus in Australia. Australia. I don't know why I slurred the tone, turn there. But uh, he was driving a school bus there, and, uh, and there was a disconnect between uh, the aborigines, so the people who inhabited uh, Australia, and, and uh, the white people. And so what he was doing is, as he, he got the great idea, as he was driving the school bus that day, as they get on, he's going to ask them this question. Uh, so when the white kid got on the bus, he would say, what race are you? And they would say, they would say, white. And he'd go, no, you're green. Today you're green. And they said, and they said okay. So he goes, I ask you again, what race are you? They go, green. And he goes, all right, get on the bus. Uh, then uh, he go, went down a little bit further, and he started picking up some of the aborigine kids. And he said, what race are you? And they said, black. And he said, no, you're green. Uh, today you're green. And then you go again, what race are you? And they'd say, green. He'd say, okay, good, get on the bus. And as this bus driver's going down, he's thinking, I've solved it, right? Well, I've solved it. We're, you know, we're all green on here, right? And we're all in good shape. Until he heard this little boy in the background say, all right, the light green people sit on this side of the bus and the dark green people sit on this side of the bus. And he said, oh, I failed them. <laughs> they, they missed it. When we look at or we hear that story, we think of, um, you know, in our world, how much there is a disconnect um, based off trivial things such as skin color or, or different things that divide us. For these people, uh, for the Gentiles and the Jews, it was a separation for that. But what, what, what Christ did in his coming is he united us all into one, one race, one people, right? That's, that's citizens of heaven. That's Christians. So that when we look at people, we're not looking at them based on their outward appearance, but we're, we're fighting for what's on the inward, right? We're looking at them through the lens of Christ that, that we don't get caught up in, in what, what's going on around us. Instead, we're getting caught up that they're a soul that needs to be connected to God. 
and their life matters. And when we have that perspective, we only have that because, because Christ <laughs> created it. Uh, in verse 10 above, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're not accidents, right? When God created us, he created us with a purpose. He created us with a specific design. Um, that would be to know him, um, and then that would be to make him known. It wasn't that he created you to look the way you do just because he has a sense of humor, right? <laughs> or, or he created you the way that you look because he didn't favor you or, or, or want what's best for you. No, God created you on purpose for you to live the life that he's called you to. And so when we look at this, God creates this one humanity, and that's the humanity that we will worship hand in hand with in heaven for all of eternity. So you better get to liking the people around you now because eternity's coming, right? It's coming. And so take joy, take great delight knowing that God's hand is at work and that he created you to live that life because you are his um, <clears throat> workmanship. You, you are crafted and gifted in such a way that's going to be honoring to him and glorifying to him and drawing others to him as well. And so when we look at it in that way, we realize, God, you are so good. Because my condition is not of physical or, or emotional, but it's that of spiritual. And then what happens is, is <clears throat> when we stop watering that down, we give the answer that the world needs to be reconciled to Jesus. To be reconciled to Jesus. Verse 16 tells us this. It says, in my, in <clears throat> might reconcile us uh, both to God in one body, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. <clears throat> Jesus killed his own body on the cross uh, to, in the hostility of all mankind. And the reality of this, and, and, and for us to grasp, is this should reign in our heart. <laughs> that Jesus died for everyone. He died for me. And he died so that I would be connected to him for all of eternity. And that is, should bring us the greatest joy and all of this, right? When we look at this and we realize, you know, at one point I was far from him. I was as far as I could be. Um, I was disconnected. I had no hope. I had no reason to live. I had nothing to long for. I had nothing uh, to put my hope in or my trust. I had no expected destination other than nothing, right? I, nothing. And it wasn't until I was introduced to Christ that I found that I had hope, that I had a future that I had a direction that he was guiding me toward that was not of my own, but, but one that he had planned for me. And many people around us have not got to experience what you and I have, have not got to experience that joy of knowing I now have purpose. I now know that I was created for a reason. I now know that I have hope for all of my life. And, and, and so when we look at that, we realize there are a lot of people around us that are dying because they are caught up in the physical or caught up in an emotional problem, we're not realizing that the deeper issues are spiritual. It's their spiritual. As we go into a new year, my hope would be that we would be begging God for new lenses, ways that we see the world. We wouldn't see them as burdensome or trialsome. We would see them as souls that need to come and be reconciled to God. Not that I can do the reconciling, but I can bring them to the reconciler. Not that I can do the healing, but I can draw them near the healer. Not that I can save them, but instead I can bring them to the Savior. 
And when I live my life in such a way, it becomes contagious as others would want to draw near as well. And so in this time, in this season, I would ask uh, that you would make maybe a commitment in the heart and saying, God, how can I better be the bridge to people in my life to you? How can I bring them to, to the reconciler? How can I bring them to Jesus that they may be healed of their condition, of their separation, that they may know the goodness and taste what I've tasted and have hope this season and have hope in, in generations to come? When we look at, is Jesus our hope? Yes, he's, he's the only one that can, we can place our hope in because he's the only one that fulfills us. He's the only one that we can and walk with or endure with because he's the only one that paid a cost that, that we could not pay. I think some of us have lost that joy along the way. And maybe the invitation is this, God, restore in me the joy of my salvation. Restore in me the joy of walking with you. Restore in me how good it is to walk and read and, and, and worship you. Restore that in me, God. For others, it may be, it may be I've ne never tasted that, Pastor Chris. I've never experienced that salvation. I don't know what that's like, but I want to know. Well, it's simple, my friend. It's realizing you have the condition. But the beautiful thing is, is that God didn't leave us in our sin because he sent Jesus for you. He sent him for me, and he reconciles us together. And so what that means is we put our trust in him. We put our faith in him. We tell him that we're, <laughs> we can't do this, and, 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 and I believe in him that he'll save me. It's very simple. Thank you for taking the time to find God's answers to life's greatest issues. We hope that you would reach out to us at info at jacksonfbc.com with your questions and check out more of our ministries at jacksonfbc.com.